0: Hello folks, George Jardine here with podcast number 31 and the second in a series of mini tutorials for Lightroom version 1.0. Today I'm going to share my thinking on the steps I would take to make basic corrections to a photo in the develop module. We're not going to go over the develop module in great detail here or even touch on most of the controls. Instead, the goal of these podcasts is to present an ongoing series of very short and sweet tutorials that will eventually lead you to a better understanding of how the controls work and to help you build up the confidence you need to quickly and effectively make your photographs look their very best. This is a series of photos that I took last year in Iceland with San Francisco photographer John McDermott. We were driving out west on the Snæfellsnes Peninsula where we found a group of horses on a ranch and started having a bit of fun photographing them. At one point John got up on this fence for a different perspective and I grabbed this shot. It's the only frame like it in the sequence, and I didn't even know what I had until I was going through the edit on the flight back home. All over Iceland, you find these really beautiful little tiny one-room churches, and they frequently create an unusual scale factor in the vast landscape that might otherwise be difficult to capture. So the thing I love about this frame is the juxtaposition of John and the church as he's shooting the horses in the pen. For me, it's a visual pun on shooting these wonderful little churches in Iceland. Not the world's greatest photograph, I admit, but one that captures a memory and a little humor that I wanted to preserve. So let's jump over to the Develop module and fix this photo up. I know for sure that the first thing I want to do is crop it, so I'll just press the R key, which takes me to Develop and immediately puts me into the cropping mode. Notice down here that I'm going to be working with the original aspect ratio, but that I can toggle the aspect ratio lock on or off either by clicking on it or by pressing the A key. For this photo, I'm going to stick with the original aspect ratio, so I'll leave it locked. Now, I want to crop in and lose some of the sky and some of the left side, like this. Note that as I crop from the corner, I'm not only moving the crop, but the photo is moving as well. Now, this will feel a bit weird to you at first, because it's a totally new way to look at cropping. Notice that as I'm changing the crop, Lightroom is always adjusting things so that the final cropped area is held steady right in the middle of the screen. The benefit of this becomes even more evident as I press the R key to toggle in and out of the crop mode to check my work. See how nice it is that your cropped area is always in the middle of the screen? And I can make minor adjustments to the position by clicking and dragging inside the crop like this And I can toggle in and out to check my work. And my finished crop is always in the middle of the screen. Really nice. When I feel like I'm getting close, I'll just want to rotate it a bit to finish it off. Notice that when I move my mouse outside of the crop and click and drag, it rotates the photo. And as I click and drag to rotate, I get a finer grid to help me align the horizon. Again, Lightroom is moving the photo under the crop, which keeps the final composition upright and centered, which really makes it easy. Take it from me, with just a bit of practice you'll find this new crop tool incredibly intuitive. There, now if I have a really clear horizontal or vertical in the photo that I want to align the crop to, I'll just grab the straighten tool and click and drag along the line. That sets the rotation for me, and I can always go back outside the crop rectangle and finesse the rotation by eye like this. Then pressing the R key once again toggles me back out of the crop mode and I'm done. For the purposes of this tutorial I want to save this state of the photo which is completely uncorrected at this point but has been cropped. So I'll just go over here and make a quick snapshot of these settings. I'm going to name it basic crop so we can easily come back to it later. Okay, looking at my photo now, I see that I was shooting fast and I had my camera set on aperture priority, so with it exposing for that much sky, it pushed it down further than I would have had I been exposing for my subject, so it's a bit dark overall. Now I'll frequently start correcting a photo up here by adjusting the white balance, but I'm pretty sure in this case I'm going to want to adjust my white balance after I brighten things up a little bit. So let's take a look at the basic exposure adjustments. First take a look at the histogram. It's looking pretty good up here in the highlights, and if I turn on my highlight clipping indicator, like this, you can see that I have just a tiny bit of clipping up here in the clouds, which is fine. Not bad at all. For the most part, I'm maintaining pretty good detail in the sky, but we'll come back to the sky in a minute. Down here, in the shadows, you can see that the underexposure has caused most of John's pullover to clip into black. I'll just turn off that clip indicator here on the histogram, and then Holding down my Option, or Alt key, and working with my black point control, I can see that the default value of 5 is just a bit high for this particular exposure. And as I move it down to the left, you can easily see that I do have just a tiny bit of detail down there in the very darkest regions, and I don't want to clip those details into pure black. So, I'm going to move the black point all the way to zero. It more or less still all goes to complete black on my display when I let my finger off the Option key, but I see that we do still have a solid black in the photo, and that some of the detail in the pullover will come up here in a minute when we adjust the overall brightness of the photo. Now you probably notice that there are about 12 different ways you can go about tackling an exposure problem with Lightroom, and each one has a different effect. I could start here and drag this up to the right, increasing my exposure. But before I do, look again at my histogram. If I go down here and turn on the Targeted Adjustment tool in the Curve panel and then roll my mouse around up here in these clouds, you immediately see that all those values are way up here on the curve, near the very edge of useful highlight detail. So, if I were to move my exposure control up very far at all, like this, notice how it pretty quickly just clips all that wonderful highlight detail that we want to preserve up in the sky to pure white. Now, admittedly, I could have a better sky here but I want to preserve what I do have, and not blow it away while trying to bring the exposure up. So, we're going to have to look elsewhere for the correction. And, let's not fool around with fill light just yet, until we learn the basics of the tone curve. Okay, let's continue to use the mouse to roll around the photo and look at where our values are falling on the curve. The vast majority of the most interesting information in this photo is falling down here in the three-quarter tones, or what we call the dark values, So, I'm just going to go ahead and grab that slider and jack it over to the right. I know I need quite a bit of correction here, so there's no need to be particularly timid. See what I mean? We're getting about the density we want when we're way over here in the high 90s. But take a look at what's happening to the photo. It's true that the dark slider has brightened up the general parts of the photo that were too dark. And, as a result, what we're doing here is increasing the contrast between the values along this part of the curve which is affecting this large chunk of pixels here in the histogram that represents the large expanse of grass in the photo. Which is all well and good. We can use the contrast there. But at the same time, this move has had the effect of compressing and flattening the contrast of all these light areas up here, that are mostly represented in our photo by the wonderful variations in the light tones that used to be up here in our sky. Watch up here while I turn the effects of this panel on and off with the panel switch. See how all that differentiation and tone is essentially flattened out and lost by the move we made to the curve? Well, what can we do about that? The whole photo still feels kind of a bit flat and dark. I know I don't want to mess around with the shadows yet, and we've just about maxed out our curve on the darks, so let's take a look at the lights. As I push this part of the curve up with the light slider, we start to get the overall contrast and brightness levels that we're looking for, all through these darker parts of the photo, which again is a big improvement. But now look at the sky. You barely need to look at the curve over here to see what's happened. All the values up here have just been pushed to nearly pure white. At this point, trying to pull down the highlights to recover some of that sky, like this, is more or less a joke. It's all been pushed way too far up on the curve, and there's nothing to be gained by messing around with the shadows portion of the curve either. It just makes the darkest parts of the photo either too contrasty when I push it to the left, or too flat when it's moved to the right so I'm going to leave it right where it was. A quick double click on the knob will always set any of these sliders back to their default position. Okay, the main subject of my photo is vastly improved. So for now I'm willing to think about other things, like finishing up with the color balance. Keep in mind that the color balance is a very subjective control, especially for a photo like this taken outdoors in an overcast condition. Later I'll probably do an entire tutorial on how to learn to set the optimal color balance for any given photo but for today it's just the basics my camera was set to auto white balance which is where it always is when i'm shooting raw i have this flexibility with raw and i can always go back and set it later without a penalty so the camera set me here to 5450 and plus seven i'm guessing that 5450 is close to the right blue yellow balance for this overcast day but i can see right away that all this green grass has fooled the auto white balance into jacking up the magenta too much it's a common problem anytime there's a predominant color in your photo, and sure enough, a slight tweak down to around minus five or minus six actually makes the photo look a lot more neutral. On the blue-yellow axis, again, I think 5450 is going to be quite close, but it never hurts to twiddle things just to see if your photo will look better warmer or cooler. So dragging it back and forth and watching your photo change on a nicely calibrated display you should be able to choose a point between too cool and too warm that feels just right. And sure enough, like many digital photos out there, this one is benefiting from a slight tweak upward to around 5600. So I'm going to leave it there. For me this is a purely visual process. In many cases having a color chart in the photo will help you get the right balance. Finally, as a last little tweak to my photo, I'm going to want to take a look at the color controls and again in a later tutorial we will probably delve much deeper into the various uses of vibrance versus saturation but for today I'm just gonna stick with vibrance as I begin to push it up I can see that I'm getting a nice little pop out of the greens and in the blue tone in his pants but too much of a good thing almost always works against itself so I'm going to stop here at around 20 and call it done for a very quick adjustment I think this is about all we're going to get out of this photo if you don't mind that the sky is blown it's looking much improved I'll press the L key a couple of times to go into the lights out mode and there's my finished correction. I can also press the backslash key to see my before state essentially where I came from with the default processing but honoring the current crop. Now we can still go back and try a completely different strategy using the fill light control so let's do that but before we do I'm just gonna make one more snapshot so we have a comparison. We just don't know which way will turn out best and we want to preserve these settings in the snapshot. I'll just name it TC Correction for Tone Curve Correction. And then to get us back to our crop starting point, I'll just click the basic crop snapshot that I created earlier. Okay, before we touch anything on this tone curve or start messing around with the blacks, let's try the fill light. As I drag the fill light control over to the right, you'll notice right away that it's giving us a completely different look. The key thing about fill light is that it's really easy to overdo it. So you have to be careful and I found that it's almost always best used in conjunction with at least some tweak to the shadows control. Notice how pushing up the fill light control above 50 on this particular photo starts to give it a really weird, unnatural kind of glow. But it's brightening up the dark areas without destroying our sky detail, which is promising. So I'm going to stop here at about 50 and just check things out. If I hold my mouse right over the fill light knob and double-click it, it sets it back to zero, which was the default. And then, without moving my mouse, I can pretty easily just click once again to set it back to about 50. So this gives me yet another way to quickly check a before and an after on any given control, provided you've started from the default. Notice how we're brightening up the photo quite a bit, but we're also holding a lot of that detail in the sky that we lost using the previous round of techniques. Okay, so 50 is a good start. Maybe not quite all the correction I need to get the brightness level I want but probably all that I can squeeze out of this control without really screwing things up. And, as in almost every case when you're using fill light, you'll find that a corresponding tweak down here to just push the shadows down a bit makes all the difference in the world. It just brings back that bit of contrast in the very darkest regions to help the photo look better. I'll also want to push up the darks just a bit here using the curve, without the danger of either killing the sky or creating that phony contrasty and saturation look that too much fill light can easily lead to. And just to finish off this version of the correction, I can see once again that we're running a bit high in the magenta, so pulling it back to about minus six gives me the color I'm looking for. Well, that's about it. If I want to compare this correction to my tone curve correction, all I have to do is click once on my TC correction snapshot, and then I'll hit Command Z to toggle back to my fill light correction, like this. This is our tone curve correction, and this is our fill light correction. Wow, what a difference! Each of these correction techniques is giving us a very different look. Some of you may like the tone curve adjustment, while others prefer the fill light technique. And both are perfectly valid. Which one is right? Whichever one you like. And this will be the lesson of almost all of my mini tutorials on the develop module. There's no right answer. Specifying the settings for rendering your raw photos is a completely subjective process, and the only right answer is the one that helps you feel your interpretation is best expressing the scene as you see it in your mind. The goal is that you learn to feel comfortable and fluent enough with the controls to express your vision, and that will only come to you with a lot of experimentation on a wide variety of photographs. So that's it. Thanks for listening. And please feel free to email your comments and suggestions to me at J at adobe.com and always remember rule number five